Well, let's go in, uh, back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. We're talking about uh, using your words for you, make them work for you rather than against you. And uh, Kelly alluded to this principle. I just want to say it again as you're turning to Ephesians 3. You will rise or fall to the level of the confession of your mouth. And there are no exceptions. So whatever biblical level your mouth is arising to, you, that's what you can expect to see in terms of tapping into what the Word of God has and promised for you in your life. Say that with me. My words, My words matter. matter. Say it, I will rise, I will rise or, fall or fall to the level of the confession of my mouth. And say this, and there are no exceptions. You say, why? Because that's the way you were made. Amen. That's how God designed you. In Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And as we began this a few weeks ago, we, we are dealing with right now as a foundation the three factors that are critical if you want to see the more in 2024. Can I see the hands of everyone that believes that we serve a God of the more? Yes. Is He able? Yes. Let me ask you again, is He able yes. to do the more? But to tap into that, you're going to have to be concerned about three vital areas. One, of course, is the quality of your thought life, your words, and your actions. Say it with me, my thoughts, my words, and my actions. If your thoughts are unbiblical, your words run contrary to the Word of God, and your actions demonstrate no revelation that you have a Lord, you are not going to tap into the more that He has for you. So I can talk about all the individual applications of this, and I certainly will talk about these amazing things that God wants to do in terms of the more, but it's not going to benefit you if you don't understand the foundation for tapping into those things. So we're continuing today to talk about your words because your words matter. In fact, Proverbs 18.7 says, A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. We want to blame everybody else for the way life is. And the, the real key is what's underneath your nose today. It's not the words, the actions of others that primarily affect my life. It's what I say that affects my life based on the Word of God. It's very simple. Find out what God's Word says, begin to say what God's Word says, and stick with it. Amen. Let nothing you know, distract you from that. The tongue is the gatekeeper for the body, for the soul, and for the spirit. And if you don't like what's been coming into your life, then put that gatekeeper to work. Measure and consider and be careful about the things that you say. And a person will say, oh, that's just bondage. I don't live that way. If you don't live that way, you're already in bondage. Things are already controlling your life. Things are already manipulating you. One of the things I love about what Josh you know, shared, I've been in, in this a while now, and I can tell you that 99 out of 100 times, if somebody had smoke in their house, they would not have shown up to do worship today. I got a sniffle. I got a headache. I saw some smoke in the house. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just love that story. <laughs> and the point of the matter is, what you and I do and how we manifest the goodness of God, it just doesn't affect us. 
Joshua's decision affected all of us today. And I want you to see that what you do on a daily basis affects other people as well. What you say impacts your life and what you say impacts others. Are you here today? It's the gatekeeper and it's up to you and to me to use that gatekeeper according to what the Word of God would prescribe. In Psalm 63, verse 3, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. That's the, the big, broad way to define how you should live in terms of your, your vocal life and the things you say. Let your lips glorify God. Turn to somebody and smile and say, Let your lips glorify God. Not just in church. When you get hit with a problem at work, your lips should glorify God. When your football team loses today, your lips should glorify God. When you have a setback financially, your lips should glorify God. Because that's what people of faith actually do. The circumstances are not to control your lips. Your lips are to control your circumstances. So my lips, shout it out, my lips shall glorify the Lord, all the time. Scripture says that the high praises of God be in my mouth and a two-edged sword in my hand. That's how we live a victorious life in God. The more in 2024 is directly tied to the words that we speak. And so if you are just now you know, dialing in, this is maybe the first message you've heard, go back online and listen to the other messages. But I want to just encourage you that what you and I do with our mouth is the key. Jesus told, and thinking of the Pharisees and their teaching, it's not what goes in a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of their mouth that defiles them. He was plain, I mean, just plain speaking here. It's not that you ate something bad or that you even ate it with, with dirty hands. It's that your words are defiling you. Your communication is compromising you. That came from the mouth of Jesus. How do you know he knows what he's talking about? And so we learn from scriptures like Proverbs 18.21, the truth that death and life are in the power of the tongue and listeners, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You love it, love it enough to yield to it, to do what the principle says, to be faithful, to be consistent with it, there's going to be fruit. The Bible says several times in Proverbs that we literally are filled with the fruit of our lips. Look at somebody and say, you get to eat whatever you speak. I want you to shout that out again and think about what you're saying. I get to eat whatever I speak. So if you don't like what you've been eating, You change what you've been speaking. <laughs> so we began this last week talking about what uh, powerful things happen with, with right words. And first of all, we learned that you literally access your salvation. If you're born again, you've given your life to Christ. The way that you experienced the new birth was according to the teaching of the Apostle Paul in Romans 10. You believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Do I have any believers out there today? And you said with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, confession is made unto salvation. 
You believe that God is who he says he is. You believe that Jesus is his son. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. You believe God raised him from the dead. And then you say with your mouth the things you believe and confession is made unto salvation. The good news is that's how you got born again. Is there anybody here today with their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Can I see your hand? Because I want to fellowship with you. Amen. For all eternity, we're going to be there. Amen. You know that you know that you know that you're right with God. A miracle took place because you believed in your heart and you said with your mouth. Your mouth, listen, is an agent of miracles and most people don't understand that. The greatest miracle you will ever experience in your entire existence is the new birth. From darkness to light, from death to life, from defeat to victory, amen. From hell to heaven, all of that took place because of your heart believing and your mouth speaking. One of my fathers in the faith, John Osteen, used to say like this, there's a miracle in your mouth. And the born again experience was just the first of miracles you can have by doing the same thing. Tap into every dimension of your salvation this way, whether it is forgiveness or healing or deliverance or provision or guidance. Believe in your heart what the word says about that and say it with your mouth and then confession, what? Will make whatever it is you're actually believing in your heart. Now, the unlearned and the ignorant and the religious and the Pharisee will listen to that and they'll say, I don't think that my words have to deal anything to do with my victory or my life or where I'm going one day or what happens on this planet. You know, that's just nonsense. They'll make fun of it. They'll use pejorative terms to describe things like the word of faith. And I want to remind you that it's Paul that gave us the phrase word of faith. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gave it to Paul. So be careful what you say about what the Holy Spirit gave. And then Paul fleshed the principle out by telling you and me, it's believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. Believing in your heart, you're healed. And saying with your mouth, I'm healed. Confession is made unto salvation, healing, direction, provision, whatever it is a believer might have, might, might have need of. Amen. I'll tell you why religious people assault the principles because the devil can't stand people getting a hold of this thing. Because if you ever get a hold of revelation that's what you say that matters the most, he's not only lost you to eternity, he's lost you in this planet and he's lost the people around you that are being influenced by what you're saying. I could talk about that principle literally all day long, and since we got nowhere to go, I just might go ahead and do it anyway. But uh, <laughs> we also overcome obstructions in life with our words. Mark 11, Jesus would notice they were just amazed that he cursed a fig tree and it died from the roots. And so he said, That's great, look at that mountain. I say to you, if you believe in your heart, amen, and say with your mouth, what's going to happen to that mountain? Now, I don't know that I wasn't necessarily need to go over to, you know, the Alps or go to Pikes Peak and move it, but I tell you what, I do have obstructions in my life that need to go. Yeah. Raise your hand if you have an obstruction in your life that needs to go. Yeah. It's the same principle. There are three times as many mentions in Mark chapter three of saying and to everyone believing. You believe in your heart and you say with the mouth, be uprooted and cast into the sea. You don't doubt in your heart, but believe the thing that you say, it will come to pass. Amen. 
I got good news for you. If you'll start talking to your obstructions and stop talking about your obstructions, you're going to see those things disappear from your life. Because you're like me, you spend more time talking about the problem. Apparently, it's just me and Anna. The rest of you got this figured out already. Amen. <laughs> Let me say that again. We spend too much time talking about the problem and not enough time talking to the problem. Acknowledge the problem. Don't be ignorant. Say, you know, things that would lend to denial. Just, just say, yeah, that's real in my life. But now I refuse to allow that stay in my life in Jesus name. One of the favorite uh, phrases I ever heard somebody say about this principle is Jerry Seville. He said, faith doesn't pretend, it attacks. If I got a rock, I got to move. I'm not pretending the rock's not there. That's not faith. Faith is, I know you're there, but you can't stay there in Jesus' name. So I'm going to attack you with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, until you say, uncle. Amen. Say it, I access salvation. I overcome obstruction. And I beat temptation. Amen. Scripture says that with that temptation, God will provide a way of escape. And for those who need to hear this, God is not the one tempting you or testing you in terms of tempting you to sin. That's not God. Amen. It is the evil one coming to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes at you just like the devil came at Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Now, you look at that scripture and study that carefully on your own time, you'll notice that with each temptation, Jesus didn't say, oh, mean devil, why don't you just leave me alone? He shot out of his mouth the word of God. The way he provides to escape temptation is the word of God coming out of your mouth. And I don't know about you know this, most of our temptation doesn't happen in the church house when we're all together. Although more than a few have been tempted to punch me, amen, for things I've said, <laughs> in the congregation. They repented, they got over it, amen. <laughs> most of your temptation's not happening while you're in church. It's by yourself. So no one's going to come to the rescue and speak the word out of their mouth to give you the out of your temptation. You're going to have to do it. Now, Titus, that revelation that Paul gives us, we can say no. The grace of God teaches us to say, say it's teaching me. It means we haven't figured it out all at once. It means we're in school, but at least we can improve. Amen. If you're making a D in this, you can at least make a B. Can I have an amen? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And you'd be amazed how powerful it is when a temptation comes to you, opening up your mouth and saying, no. Come on, shout that word out, no. no. Louder. No. Louder. No. It's amazing how powerful that is coming out of the heart of a believer. Now add to that what the scripture says about that. Find the place where it's written about that particular kind of temptation and you will defeat and beat temptation every single time. Just a little bit of discipline, amen. And you can skip all the guilt and condemnation, the distance you feel from the Lord because you gave in to the temptation, another lap around the mountain, another night with the frogs, you can skip all that if you'll start saying no and then follow it up with the Word of God. That's how powerful it is, amen. 
Say it, my salvation. My salvation. Every, obstruction. Every obstruction. Every temptation. I can beat with the words of my mouth. Now let me ask you all today, how many of you with a raised hand would say you're believing God for some promise in His Word? There's something in His Word you're bearing down on. All right, this next one is very simply put, you take possession with the words of your mouth. In Joshua chapter 1, the Bible speaks of the command that God gave him. My servant Moses is dead. Your spiritual father is gone. Now I need you basically, amen, to suck it up. You got a big job to do here. And what he told him is, I want you to meditate day and night upon the word. I don't want to see the word stop departing out of your mouth, but speak it, but meditate day and night. And he says, you'll make your way successful. And boy, was he successful. All the campaigns that he was successful in, all the things that he did. He is a great leader in the history of Israel. Faithful when the other ten spies decided to spread an evil report of unbelief. He used his mouth to say, we can do these things. We will do these things. When everybody else was playing games, you know, in the camp, he was there outside the tent waiting for his father Moses. He was faithful in everything that he did. He made some mistakes, but the key to his success, to possessing the land, were the words of his mouth. And I see your hand if you want to possess that promise. Raise it up high and say, I want to possess that promise. Well, you meditate day and night, and you don't cease to speak what God has said about that. Whatever that promise is, I promise you there's word on that promise. You get it into your heart in abundance and you say it out of your mouth consistently. He said, Joshua, you will make your way successful. No, I can't be successful because I'm from the wrong town, didn't have the right education, you know, I'm the wrong background, the wrong culture, the wrong color, you know, I don't talk right, I don't have, you know, fancy use of language, I don't write like everybody else, I didn't have the advantages of everybody else. That's not what it said. Meditating day and night, not letting the book of the law ever stop coming out of your mouth, that's how you make your way successful. That's what I love about the things of God. That's what I love about the cross. It's the great equalizer. I don't care what you were born into. I don't care what you didn't have. I don't care what you've been through. If you will put the word of God in your heart in abundance and let it come out of your mouth in great power, you will see taking possession of the things that God promised you. And it won't matter. So the most powerful men and women of God had little to no advantages in this world. And they've rocked this world for Jesus Christ. And you can too. Amen. Say it. I'm laying hold of. I'm taking possession of that promise with the words of my mouth. Now Josh 1 teaches us it's not somebody else's fault if you don't do it. You know, in this generation we're in right now, very selfish, um, quite a bit lazy, and completely unwilling to take responsibility for their own actions and behavior and outcomes. You know what the Word of God does? It's just the opposite. Be diligent, be zealous, be fervent, be abounding in the things of God, and absolutely it's your responsibility. 
There's not a person in here that can't possess any promise in the Word of God if you'll follow Joshua's example. But you can't be quoting Scripture one day and blaming somebody the next day. Say it with me. Personal responsibility for my spirituality. Well, it's the church's fault. It's the deacon's fault. It's the pastor's fault. I tried that for about five minutes right after I got born again and spirit-filled. I opened up a little red Bible. Not those little big ones that Gideon's given, but a nice revised that I was given in the first grade in the Lutheran church in Heron, Illinois. I opened it up after I got born again and spirit-filled. I mean, that's a good thing for saved people to open up and read the Bible. That's free. It won't cost you nothing today. You get saved, you read the Bible. <laughs> and I opened it up, and there was 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm going, what just happened to me is right there. I was dumbfounded, and I thought, somebody just snuck this in the Bible at the last minute. That's not really been here. And I went from that to getting mad because we weren't taught these things. And I said, Lord, you know that pastor didn't teach us anything about this stuff. He goes, uh, what about that Bible he gave you? Did you ever read it? I'll just give you a tip here. Keep your mouth off of God's servants because God knows how to deal with you if you do. I'll take a better amen than that. And I'm just saying we evolved from time to time, slipped into things. It wasn't that pastor's fault. I didn't know about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit. I had that Bible all those years. How many years did I have it? I had it from age 6 to 17. That's plenty of time to open up the Bible and read it. Amen. I'm just saying that is nobody can stop you from possession but you. But you have to take responsibility for what's in your heart. And what's coming out of your mouth? Can I have a big amen today? Amen. Shout it out. Salvation. Salvation. Obstructions. Salvation. Temptation. Salvation. Possession. Salvation. Number five, with your mouth, you set your life direction and course. You think it's a bunch of uh, happenstances and coincidences and quote fate, quote unquote fate. Fate is a pagan term. You work within the kingdom of God where there's a matter of you yielding your will to him and doing what he wants you to do. But I will tell you this, according to James 3, he compares the tongue to a rudder. And wherever that rudder is set, that's the direction that life goes. And so if you are not talking scriptural things, your life's going to go in an unscriptural direction. Now there are people out there that kind of get goofy with this stuff, and I will tell you this, there is what I would call an accumulation effect of your mouth, of your words, of the things that you say, and it's not just what you said one time, it's what you say consistently all the time that matters. But your mouth will actually steer your life. You won't even be aware of this, but your mouth, the things that you say consistently, your mouth will begin to affect how you think and the decisions that you make, and you end up at a destination that your mouth brought you to. So I don't know if I believe that. That's the whole point. you got to stop messing around with the Word of God and start believing what it says. It says you're what? Your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Though it's a small member, it can turn this great vessel. Percentage-wise, it's insignificant to the weight and the force and the density of that vessel regardless of what ship we're talking about. 
It's tiny, and so it is with your mouth. That tongue is so tiny, but it actually directs the course of your life. So if you don't like where you've been going, change course by changing your words. Say it, I change my course by changing my words. Again, we want to blame everybody else for where we are. They don't have control over the rudder. You do. Your hand's on the rudder. You're making the decision. You're form-fashioning and choosing words at will, and you don't like where they're taking you. According to the Word of God, there's power in that tongue to actually set your course and direction. Years ago, I had a young person who heard this teaching, went out, you know, and got involved with somebody who actually was abusive in terms of that relationship and wanted to blame the church because she said, well, I must have said this because I must deserve it because I said that. Well, first of all, you didn't say that. And second of all, don't be a moron. <laughs> Misapplication of a principle, amen, does not mean the principle is an error. I'll give you an example. I was sprinkled as an infant. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, have, I've had an epiphany, Mom. When I was five years old on the pool deck at Marion, Illinois, at Red Cross swim lessons, and the, the instructor finally got to me, I saw him coming for me, and I got up and ran. I was terrified. Now I know why. It's that Lutheran sprinkling thing, amen, terrified me. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Some of you were too, and, and later on in life as, a, and as an adult believer, I consented to baptism by immersion, not because it was tradition, but because it was something the Spirit of God told me that I should be doing biblically. But I can tell you this, that man can add all kinds of conditions to salvation. Right? Are you here today? Yes. Should a believer should a believer be baptized? Yes. yes, but a a bath in the water is not what saves you. It's the blood bath that saves you. Yes. Save people get baptized. We don't go get baptized to get saved. Does that make sense? And they can have all kinds of you know rituals and obligations you have to do if you're going to be saved. But I just want you to think about that uh, thief on the cross who went from crime to railing with his mouth to remember me, Lord, when you come into paradise. And what did the Lord say to him? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Did the Lord remember him when he came into his kingdom? I want to talk to that fellow one day when I get there. Because he blows apart all of our theology. Now, people can add things to salvation, but just because they do that, I am not going to throw salvation out. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because man may abuse some doctrine or practice, I'm not going to throw it out. But I'm telling you this, that the most influential factor of your life and your course is what you say. Say it, my words affect my course more than anyone else's. And I'm telling you this is so critical. I wish that everybody had parents like I had growing up. Affirming, supportive, encouraging, providing, cheering. Like as yesterday, I could still see my dad do a fist pump when I blew some swimmer away in a heat. 
Not everybody had that. But I can tell you this, my victory in my course in life will never be based on what he said. It's helpful. It's encouraging. Are you sure? Ultimately, it's my responsibility to go down and continue a path that's right or change courses if I had just the opposite growing up. Turn to somebody and say with a smile on your face, it's your words that primarily affect your direction. How many are you feeling motivated to change some things? A couple of you? Okay. Number six, with your mouth you make impartation. The Bible tells us, according to 1 Peter 3, that we are literally called to bless. We're called to impart the blessing to others. Jacob blessed his children. Noah blessed his two children that honored him. You're able to bless yourself with the words of your mouth, and you're able to bless others. Why is this important? Because the blessing and the curse are both voice activated. Say that with me. The blessing is voice activated. Say it, we're called to bless. We're not called to curse. Going back to James 3, James said, you know what? They're cursing and praising coming out of your mouth. Praise for God and cursing your brother. These things ought not be. You can't have salt water and fresh water coming from the same reserve. And um, I've, I've always been cognizant of this. From the time Timothy was little, I'd lay hands on him and bless him and speak the word of God over him. Why? Because the blessings voice activated, it is imparted. To a receptive heart, you grow up thinking you're supposed to be blessed. It's about time some of y'all start thinking you're supposed to be blessed. Amen. Say it with me. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I can't be cursed. Can't be I've been redeemed from the curse. Come on, say it with a smile. I'm supposed to be blessed. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the city. And I'm blessed in the country. I'm plain blessed. But it's been several months ago, the Lord implicitly, I mean, just directly, every chance I had to use my mouth, and bless Juliana and AA as well, but specifically in this season to bless her with blessing. And I just tell you, I, I call her beautiful. I call her rich. I call her successful. I call her godly. I call her on fire for God. I call her what the word of God says over her life. Why? Because I happen to be pop, pop, and I have that authority. And I'm just getting started with double A. And what do I expect? I expect everything I decree over her life to manifest. I know that Sarah and Tim have this revelation. I know what they do. Amen. But that doesn't stop me from doing what God has called me to do. And she cracks me up. I was telling Tim, I... We have a room over the house where she has to play things, and when she comes over, then she plays. So she's got a little Minnie Mouse table and two chairs. And the chair is designed for somebody that weighs about 35, 40 pounds. So she says, um, sit by the chair. And I tell her, no, sit on the chair, on the chair. Sit by the chair, no, on the chair, on the chair. So she'll sit, and I'll sit. And she goes to making me a cupcake, which is really part of a plastic set from a little kitchen set. Sets the timer. Sits down, changes the timer. Nine minutes, eight minutes, seven minutes, six minutes. And then, of course, it's done. She hops up and gets the little plastic cupcakes, puts them on a little plate, 
and serves me and then says those words I long to hear. Would you like salt with your cupcake? <laughs> From you, you can put whatever you want on my cupcake. I don't care. And so we sit there eating a plastic cupcake. And she thinks I'm sitting there eating a plastic cupcake. What I'm really doing is I'm blessing her. And then she has a little tent, you know, they get these kids. And the tent's designed for people that are about three feet high, not six foot five. Come inside with me, come inside with me, come inside with me. This much of me goes into the tent. This much. <laughs> and she goes, you want a blanket? You want a blanket? Yeah, go ahead and give me a blanket. <laughs> and we're just hanging out there and she's laughing and giggling, having a good time. And she just thinks I'm just hanging out with Papa, but Papa has an agenda. Amen. Amen. Your parents and grandparents can do the same thing. Yeah, spend time with your kids, but while you're doing that, exercise your authority and bless. I'm not going to be a bit surprised at what God does with her life. She'll not know the words of the curse. They will not be spoken over her, and they will not manifest in her life. She'll be blessed all the days of her life and be a blessing. That's what we're called to do. Amen. But let's start by, by blessing yourself. Stop cursing yourself. Stop saying things that are unbiblical about yourself. And then on purpose, the ones around you, particularly your family and loved ones and your ministry partners, you know, and your leadership, bless them. Amen. You should confess over your pastor if you want more revelation. Are you here today? Yes. Amen. Yes, amen. I know a couple of you are thinking, I'm going to confess that you're shorter. Shorter. I'm going to confess. <laughs> Get thee behind me, devil. Get thee behind me. <laughs> confess. Confess the behavior you want out of your kids. Confess what you want to see them happen. You know, in terms of their, their schoolwork, in terms of their academics, whatever is involved with them, Bless and curse not. I was really very young when I found out that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It was a lie from the pit of hell. Yep. Nothing will bless you more than right words, and nothing will hurt you more than wrong words. And God help us to stop committing spiritual suicide with our words. Amen. Said, I'm called to bless. Hallelujah. Say, I'm called to bless. The seventh one is you tap restoration. The Bible says he sent forth his word and healed them. How do you tap restoration? Well, the centurion servant was sick, Matthew 7, and he told the Lord, it's not even necessary for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. And my what? My servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled and he said this, among the Pharisees and the Levites. Did you find me? 
If I were the devil, I wouldn't want you to hear this either. <laughs> I never have a problem with that. But he said, in all of Israel, I've not found such great faith. What did he tap into? The centurion tapped into the reality that you can have what you say. And the power of a single word will bring my servant back to hell. Are you here today? The woman with an issue of blood as she elbowed her way through that crowd, sick as a dog, wasn't even supposed to be out there according to the Jewish law, but she was out there pursuing because she heard about this Messiah. She heard about this son of David. She heard about this power that came out of him. And she pressed through the crowd and said and kept saying to herself, say this to me, she said and kept saying to herself, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. With every elbow in the face, with every trauma she went through to get there, with every negative thing, all the money she had wasted and didn't grow better, she grew worse. She didn't stop. She kept saying to herself. Some of y'all just need to hear this today. You just need to keep saying to yourself, you've been doing okay. You're on the right track, but you're getting discouraged. And the Lord would tell you to keep saying to yourself. And boy, when she grabbed the hem, power went out and she was instantly restored. The woman without a covenant's daughter was completely out of her mind and completely out of control in terms of her physical and mental makeup. And she asked the Lord for restoration. And he told her, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Now, I'm telling you right then and there, an awful lot of Christians would have gotten offended and got on Facebook. TikTok. Can you believe and even show him saying that? It's not right to give. Think about these things in reality today. It's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Right then and there, she could have lost with the next words out of her mouth, but the next words were out of her mouth were, yay, Lord. It's a good start. But even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall below the table. You know what Jesus heard? That crazy woman thinks all it takes is a crumb of my power and her daughter will be healed. And guess what? He affirmed it. He said, for your reply, for what you said, your daughter is well. He didn't even say for what I said. These are examples like Naaman of non-covenant people who got healed because they did what they were told to do. And I'm telling you, if you want to tap into restoration, whatever is broken, whatever is wrong in your life, continue to say, continue to speak, continue to stay on the word of God. And watch what will happen. Amen. He's a good God, isn't he, church? Now, you may be sitting there and thinking, hey, I, I got it all together. Now, well, the reality is, is you don't. Until you become the fulfillment of a prophecy God gave this church a couple of weeks ago. But because we are walking with God and mindful, not just of receiving and tapping into our restoration, but God wants to use us as agents of his restoration, we're not going to be where we need to be until we're giving somebody a fist bump one day and the power of God surges out of us into somebody else. We aren't even aware of what's going on, but the power of God was released. 
You say, well, I got enough. I know enough. No, you don't know enough until you have that operating in your life. Jesus did make the demand on that power. She made the demand on that power. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to shake hands with somebody in the workplace. And the power of God is going to surge into their body, into their life. And there's going to be a revival in that workplace in Jesus' name. Something's going to break out there. You'll be giving somebody a casual hug, ladies, and all of a sudden, wham, the power of God will flow into their bodies, and they'll never be the same. Now, y'all should be declaring that. Say it, I do declare in Jesus' name that when I pray, when I lay hands on, when I touch, power goes forth in Jesus' name. But where's the body of Christ today? We have a mass of people out there in this world that are saying, oh, these things have passed away. There are no more miracles. There's no more power of God. That was just to prove Jesus' deity. No, my friend, Jesus healed because it's his nature and because of his compassion for people who are sick and broken and hurt. Amen? There's power in that compassion. Glory to God. I just gave you seven key things that will happen by using your mouth the correct way. But what I want to do is just give you some tools today as we wind this down of how you harness, you know, that mouth. Look at somebody and tell them it's time to harness your mouth in Jesus' name. Bible tells us in Proverbs 15, 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness breaks the spirit. And perversity means anything that goes contrary to the word of God, not just cussing. Look at somebody and say, don't cuss. But in God's ears, saying something unbiblical is as bad, if not worse, as a cuss word. We think I cuss and that's bad speech. No, if you're contradicting God's word with your mouth, that's perversity of speech. So number one, how to overcome those limiting words in your life. It took us three weeks to get here, but look at somebody and say, you were worth waiting for. Number one, ask God for a personal revelation of the power of words. I can't give that to you. I could preach another 10 weeks on this, and I can't give it to you. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter said, what church? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? You must have been listening to Brother Copeland's 10-part series on the tongue. No, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. There are all kinds of revelations that are life-changing, like the new birth, like righteousness, like the things of the Spirit. But I'm telling you, day-to-day, practically, there is no more powerful revelation than for you to understand the power of your own words. And I can't give that to you. If pastors could give revelation, they would just unzip people's heads and pour it in and then zip them back again. That's not how this works. The word is preached under the unction of the spirit of God. And it's the true teacher of the church that gives you the revelation. I can't give it to you. Now, if you never hear this message, you'll never have the revelation. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And that's good that you're hearing it. But I found out that this particular revelation of the power of your words, it is something that seems to leave us as fast as it came. And what you want to do is make sure it's a revelation to you and not a sermon. Come on, say, it's not a sermon. It's a revelation for my life. 
Ask God. Is it okay to ask God for revelation of his word? Absolutely. Asking him for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, a supernatural download about this thing. Those of you who receive the Holy Ghost and you pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, believing God to give you revelation over the power of your words. Watch and see what will happen with that. Amen. Smile at somebody and tell them, ask. Come on, say boldly, ask. Number two, fill your heart with the truth, with the Word of God, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Ask for revelation. But if you don't fill your heart with the truth, the truth's not coming out. Whatever you're putting in is what's going to come out. Philosophy, dead man's religion, man's ideas, gloom, doom, despair, and agony on me. No, you get out what you put in. Fill your heart to overflowing. Immerse yourself in the word of God like never before. Rod Parsley was saying this the other day in his church, that if you are born again, you know there's a quickening going on all over the world. Telling people to get in their prayer closet. Telling them to get into the word of God. We don't have much time left. And he's absolutely right about that. Turn to somebody and tell him, get into the word. Number three, repent for the misuse of your words. Your negative words. Your obstinate words. Your anger-induced words. Your unscriptural words. Repent over them. Well, God doesn't care how I talk. Yeah, he does. Let me up how here. How many of you would believe that somebody just shouted out, you know, Jesus Christ is named derogatorily. That would be wrong. That's his name in vain. Do you agree with that? Or somebody says, GD, how many know? We know who that God is, and that is perverse and wrong. Amen. But when you and I listen carefully, do not speak consistently with his word, we're taking his name in vain. Not just unproductive, but it is vain speech in our lives. So what do you do about that? <laughs> Pastor, I've been speaking wrong for years. How do I deal with that? Well, you could either get a harvest from that, or you can command those words to die and fall to the ground and bear no fruit in your life. Come on, shout that out. I, I take your authority and arrest every word that doesn't line up with the word of God. I command those words to fall to the ground and to die and bear no fruit. In Jesus' name, I have an announcement to make. Crop failure, hallelujah, for you and for me. Now, once done that, don't go back to sowing those kinds of seeds again. Yes, amen. Number four, refuse to say anything that contradicts the word of God. Don't give access to the enemy with your words. He wants your words, words of fear, doubt, unbelief, frustration, circumstances, pain, anger. May the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart be pleasing in God's sight. Psalm 19, 19. Amen. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. But once you know it, what God says about a matter, refuse to say anything but what God says about that. And you'll be tempted to do so all the time. Amen. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Why are these there? Why are there over 80 references in Proverbs alone to the lips, the mouth, and the tongue? Shout that out. Over 80. Why so much emphasis? Because he was typing into a revelation that many today still don't have. 
Your words are what really matter the most in your life. And then number five, apply the good speech test. This is where the pastor gets up in your business. Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, no unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth, ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others as is fitting to the need and the occasion that may be a blessing and give God's grace or favor to those who hear it. Ephesians 4.29. So here's the test. Number one. You should write it down. Is it wholesome? Is what I am saying godly or is it foul? Is it wholesome? Anybody here raise your hand and say, you know what? Before I got saved, I had a potty mouth. A couple of you. The rest of you are liars. Liars, pants on fire. <laughs> Ever tempted to have a potty mouth after you've been saved? That's not wholesome. Yeah, but I was mad. That's not an excuse. They cut me off in traffic. That's not an excuse. They got on my last nerve. That's not an excuse. What you're doing is relegating what you say to somebody else's responsibility, and your words are your responsibility. Is it wholesome? Godly versus foul. Number two, is it helpful for building others up? What you say should advance the spiritual progress of others and not hinder them. So you got a couple of preachers over here and they're, they're really bearing down on, you know, Brother Hagen or Brother Copeland. Oh my goodness, what a heretic and how terrible they are and blah, 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 blah. And somebody over here is a baby Christian who needs the message of faith. Do they care one iota about the spiritual advancement of somebody else? No. And you'll find out that that'll stop us from saying a lot of things. Are people going to spiritually advance because of what I am saying? Are they going the other way because of what I am saying? Let me help you out here. If David and I are having a conversation about Steve, our conversation should be such that we both have a higher view of Steve after we're done, not less a view of Steve. Do not reduce other people in their hearing of somebody that you're talking about. They should have a higher view of that person. Well, you know, we're just natural people. We're just people of the world. That's how people are. No, that's how ungodly carnal people are. God's people should make sure that whenever you leave a conversation, you edify that person. And it's specifically you know, dangerous when you reduce somebody like a ministry gift in the eyes of somebody else with your mouth to the point where that person can't receive from their teaching anymore. You could be personally responsible for them not reaching their destiny, not being healed, not being victorious, and it all came down to something you wouldn't keep your mouth shut about. Look at somebody and tell them, don't reduce others in your conversations. Advance them. And if you can't, there's a really wonderful holy device you can buy at Dollar General for about a dollar fifty. It's called duct tape. And just slap it on there until you can start advancing people in their spirituality. Amen. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're a pastor, you understand that sometimes you are the topic of discussion over the roast beef. 
comes with the territory. And the more carnal you are, the more likely it is to happen that, hey, blah, 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 blah. What you don't realize is you're impacting people that are hearing you. <laughs> I told you I was going to start meddling a little bit. Look at somebody and say, what time is it? It's meddling time. It's meddling time. <laughs> the family of four around the table. Little girls about 10, 11, boys about 13. Mom and dad are chewing down on lunch and chewing on the pastor or the deacon or the evangelist or the speaker. And little Jill or little Fred, I don't think I have any Jill. Oh, I may have a Jill here. She's out here, right? But we do have a Jill. Uh, Jeanette, do I have any Jeanette? <laughs> they're eating and they're listening to this stuff. You are reducing the church and reducing the ministry in their ears. And then you freak out when they're 30 and want nothing to do with the church. Oh, I raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. No, you raise them in the reduction of the ministry and its servants. Is it advancing? Is it advancing the spirituality and the formation of the people that are hearing you? Amen. I'd cry too back there. Yes, I would. Amen. Number three, is it meeting needs? Is it right words for the right occasion? Amen. The funeral is not the time to share your greatest new revelation. Gonna have an amen. Time and context will tell you what you need to do. Amen. Next, is it beneficial to the listener? Does it impart a blessing and favor to their lives? We should care that the people listening to us be blessed. Carnality, flesh doesn't care. They just want to say what they want to say. They just want to get something off of their chest. What you're doing is getting the blessing off of you. And you're impacting other people. Our heart's desire, your desire for everyone around you should be the same desire I have for my granddaughter. Blessed. Because that's what we're called to according to what Peter said. Not just family. Turn to somebody's spot and say, it's not just family. Look at somebody's spot. You mean I got to bless you too? Is it come to that? Years ago, when I first started teaching these principles, uh, back in the days of Methuselah, I, I wrap the teaching up in a very simple, simple way to remember this entire teaching on the good on the good speech test. Build up or shut up. So if you're sitting in these two bays, I want to shout out, build up. Build up. Come on, shout it out. Build up. And if you're sitting over here, I want you to say, shut up. Shut up. You're supposed to. Or, some of you have already shut up. Why don't you join the party, amen? <laughs> shut up later. <laughs> You're supposed to what? Build up. Or do what? Shut up. That is just so deep. So you join a conversation and all they're doing is tearing people down. What should you do? <laughs> At the very least, walk away and have nothing to do with it but certainly don't let them influence you. Can y'all be agents of the blessing? 
Next time that happens at work or wherever it happens, you just insert the principles of the word of God. Turn it on here by saying something positive about that person. And watch and see what happens. The first thing that's going to happen is instant conviction on everyone else who's tearing that person up. Amen. Glory to God. I'll leave you with this. Years ago, when uh, the federal government had a thing called the CEDAR program, there was a lot of young people being placed in conservation types of programs, and the government was paying for them. And, and Mark was involved. Mark Randall was involved in that while he was at uh, Murray State for years. He had a master's in counseling degree. And everybody in that office constantly complained and talked negative and ugly about their boss. Mark would do nothing but honor and show respect. And here's the, here's the thing. If you really have a problem with somebody, what does Scripture say to do? Talk to them, not to everybody else. He wouldn't do it. And there came a time for a promotion. And guess who got promoted? Not the mouths, but the mark. You say, well, he must have found out. No, he didn't know anything in the natural at all. But in the spiritual, God was paving the way for the one who was walking in honor. Amen. These things are very, very real. So come on, one more time with all your heart. Class. Or stand to your feet real quick and go help Lord a hand clap. Let's bless him.